Hey buddies, you thinking of starting your own podcast? Why not use Anchor? It's the easiest way to make a podcast, and here's why. First off, it's free. Secondly, you have creation tools to record and edit right from your phone or computer. Third, Anchor distributes for you. You can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. Fourth, make money with no minimum listenership. And finally, you have everything you need for a podcast all in one place. So what are you waiting for? Download the free Anchor app today or go to anchor.fm to get started. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the founder and host of BuddyCast, Nick Sorensen. Top of the evening to you, buddies, and happy St. Patrick's Day. I'm your host, Nick Sorensen, and joining me today is a very special guest from one of my favorite shows, Whose Line Is It Anyway? My new buddy, Greg Proops. How you doing today, buddy? Hi, buddies. Happy St. Buddy's Day, and thanks for having me on, Nick. 100%. Glad you could make it. I got to start by asking how you got into the show, Whose Line Is It Anyway? Pure luck and happenstance. I was doing a gig in um, Spokane, Washington, with another comedian named Tom Kenny, who you'll know as uh, Square Pants, Sponge mm-hmm. Pants. <laughs> and Tom and I are gold friends, and uh, we're both from, he's Boston to San Francisco, and I'm from San Francisco. So we're doing this gig at a place, at a deli in Spokane, a deli, right? And um, then there was this horrible place in Coeur d'Alene we had to do on the weekend called The Rocking Horse, where it was pretty hillbilly. Like, I don't know if you've ever been to Idaho, but like, mm-hmm. as they say, the sensibilities, in those days, especially, this is some million years ago, this is like 1988. The sensibilities weren't that refined. I mean, heckled mercilessly on stage there. And the owner of the club is there. And I went over to him. I'm like, can't you quiet those guys down? And he sends to me and goes, son, they helped build this place. And you're like, so I get it. You're going to let them run riot, as it were. So this was the situation. Tom and I were doing this. We are traveling around the Northwest together for about two weeks. I picked him up at like the Mon- uh, Missoula airport and we drove around. Anyway, we had a blowout. Everything happened. It was, you know, one of those trips. But I'm in Spokane and Mike McShane called me, who you know from the British Hughes line. He also played Friar Tuck and Kevin Costner's Robin Hood and has been in a hundred things. Uh, and he and I have been friends since, oh God, 1980, 81. So he rings me and he goes, hey, where are you, man? And I go, I'm in fucking Spokane, you know? And he says, man, there's this British improv TV show um, auditioning in San Francisco. You should have been here for this. And I'm like, what? And so he got on the show. And uh, I wasn't jealous, but I, was, I felt very sorry for myself, as you might imagine. And I said to Tom, here we are, you know, playing this weekend. And then we went to Moscow, Idaho, where he like the crowd was so mean to him. That was anyway. Uh, 
And basically they wanted to threaten us because we were um, a, a pejorative word for gay men. And uh, they, uh, so that was my weekend. Uh, and they, thank God, Mike went and did the show and then he came back and the next cycle, they came back again to San Francisco and I auditioned for Dan Patterson, who's the producer and several other people who were with him. And I said a line on stage about, what was it improv? We were watching TV or something in the improv. And I went, see those Buffalo, they're running for freedom or something like that. And I heard them laugh in the house. We were at some crap theater in the mission district. And uh, I thought to myself, I've got it. I got the show. I never think that. I've never thought about only two, one or two gigs in my life that I knew I had it. You never know. You know, sometimes they turn you down for a part that's you, literally, like yeah. playing yourself. You go. My favorite years ago, I remember Comic wrote a pilot of, based on his story, and they didn't cast him in it. The network mm-hmm. insisted he shouldn't. Yeah, yeah, just fantastic. Wow. So they play a lot so, of games. Oh, yeah. I got on, and I went over in 89. It was the summer, and uh, my, it was so long ago, my wife and I weren't married. We got married right after that. And then, fantastically, they brought me back at Christmas, and I took my wife over, who wasn't my wife yet, and I said to her, could you live here? And we'd been there maybe two days, and she's like, yeah. So we moved there like about four years later and lived there for like four or five years. And that was the story of Who's Line. And in those days, uh, it was the first star was John Sessions, Mm -hmm. who passed away last year, sadly. Um, He was very quick witted. He didn't sing or dance, but he could spiel like nobody's business. And he Mm -hmm. did all the fabulous impressions and really fast, really fast. Mm -hmm. Then um, Mike sort of became the star uh, after John. And then Ryan became the star after that. And then when we came to the States, Ryan was definitely the uh, big pony because he's the one who convinced Drew to take it on as a project. Mm -hmm. So the reason why we're even on for as long as we're on is two reasons. Dan Patterson, obviously our producer and Mark Levison, but uh, Ryan was able to convince uh, Drew to go to the execs with it. And of course they're like, what's going to happen? How, where's the script? And they're like, well, there's no script. We've been doing it like 10 years in England at this point. Mm-hmm. Well, but if you don't have a script, how do you know what's going to happen on the night? I'm like, well, cause we, you know, make it up. So then we lasted four years on ABC, two more years on ABC family from all the stuff we had in the can, a bunch of different stints on La- uh, comedy central and uh, BBC America, uh, Dave, uh, um, network uh, cable network in um the uk has played the old ones for a while and now they just picked up all the cw ones then we had i don't know five seven eight years off and dan got it revived on the cw with aisha hosting and uh gosh it's i i don't you know what i'm not even sure what year it is i think it's the eighth or ninth year so we're talking 32 years i've been on the show 31 years I came on in the second TV season and then Ryan and Colin came on in the season after that, they joined us in 90. So that's how long this fucking thing has been rolling along. It's yeah. astonishing to me um, yeah. because literally Richard Ronch, who's one of my best friends in the world, who is the keyboard player on the English version. He's also an improviser, obviously, but uh, he's in the comic store players. We used to say to each other every year in the old days, this can't keep going. This just can't keep going. And also on English TV, very strange. Like American shows, they'll have Cheers or Two and a Half Men or uh, uh, Big Bang that runs, you know, 10, 12 MASH, 10, 12 years, a million years, right? Miratel and more, right? Like those shows run like a decade, you know, Frasier, right? A decade. 
And in England, usually two seasons, all your favorite English shows literally had 12 episodes. You know, they're, it, they don't do, they don't write by, so it was, uh, it was pure luck. Like I say, like, how did it stay on? How did we find another home for it? How did we get a bigger home for it and then get another home for it? And then Drew asked us to be a group in 99. We all went to Vegas together and that group morphed over the years and then split up and then into a bunch of different groups. So Wayne is on the road with Jonathan Mangum. It's his team. Colin and Brad do a two-hander too. Uh, and then me, Ryan, Jeff Davis, and we picked up Joel Murray. Uh, I was going to say a couple years ago, it was 2012. That's how old we are. New Joel was the new guy. He joined in 2012. So he's been in the group 10 years next year. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, uh, we've been touring as a foursome we, and Chip Esten used to tour with us, but he got on the show Nashville and became a country star. And so he moved to Nashville and, um, he still tours with us that we, uh, he, he sits in with us and so does Dave Foley and so does Drew Carey. So our extended group has, uh, we have a much bigger extended group than we used to so seven ish, seven, mm -hmm. eight ish. Kathy Greenwood. She sat in with us from who's on. That was a long answer, buddy. I want to give you the complete history. <laughs> nice. Right? Hi, John. Yep. So, obviously, they play a lot of games on the show. Like, I remember they do, like, those interviews where the one guy doesn't know who he is, but you guys have to explain it to him. Or, um, you know, like, we're, there's, like, the game of, like, we're something. Like, I remember we're stranded on an island, and someone goes, like, right. hey, look at me. Let's hide. What was your favorite game to play on the show? I always fancied in the old, the English version, the um, film and theater styles, which we call, uh, people call it options. People call it, anyway, that's what we called on the show's film and theater styles. And in the old days, it was often me and Mike or me and Ryan. And uh, both of them are just superb to play starts genre with because you switch hard musical to thing to thing thing. And the, like Mike and Ryan are like never lose. So all you have to do is hang, you know, try to look like you're alive up there and um, give it the old college try. And I always like that one. The guessing games are fun, but uh, as my two favorite quotes about the show are Chip in the old days asked his neighbor to watch the show. His neighbor came up to him gruffly and said, so you're on some show. And he's like, yeah, it's on ABC on Tuesday or whatever, or Thursday where we're in those days. Uh, it's called Who's Line. So the guy, his neighbor watched it. And then he came out the next day and he goes, I watched your show last night. And Chip's like, well, what'd you think? And he goes, oh, it's like a bunch of assholes playing charades. And I thought that was, <laughs> and I said, the, the reason why that one's so accurate is because he's, he's right. We mm -hmm. are in fact a bunch of assholes playing charades. And mm -hmm. then uh, the other favorite was on some British chat room about comedy and people were on and on about whose line. And the British person said, why not prepare something funny? Uh. <laughs> and that's England in a nutshell. One of the first times I went there with my wife, we were, uh, there's a, a band at the time from Liverpool called The Farm. And we were in our, uh, you know, we're all young and free. We went to their concert and we were backstage with them because I happened to, I had met them at a gig in Texas years before, I'm not kidding. Anyway. Uh, they're all TV writers now, or some of them are. At least my friend from the farm was Roy, the drummer. And um, he was quite a good writer. And um, 
they were kind of a groovy psychedelic. This is the early nineties, mind you. Yeah. The hundred years ago for you, you were probably born way after this. And, um, uh, I was, it was very cold. We were at the shepherd's bush empire and I called up, Hey, let us in. We're fucking freezing. I never read that. And so they bring us up, give us beers, you know, in those days all smoking and drinking beer. And, um, uh, one of the cats comes up to me and these are, these guys are from, these are scousers, right? So they're super savage, sarcastic. So I've seen your show. I'm like, really? I got all, hopefully he was going to pay me a compliment. He goes, yeah, it's shit. And that was my first experience with English, how they always treat you, which is a rough camaraderie as it were. Mm -hmm. uh, they haze you. And um, the trick to getting along with English people is to have a sense of sarcasm at all times. You have to understand that they're, and that they like to argue, like we like to like dance or whatever. Like they, they consider arguing almost sexual in its attractiveness. So if you have an argument with someone in England all night long, the next day they'll call you and go, great night last night. And you're like, I was in the corner defending my position for like four hours, right? But that's how they play. They, there's a line in them. The Year of Living Dangerously with Sigourney Weaver and Mel Gibson were there. And this hot journalist in, uh, uh, where is it, Malaysia in the 60s? It's the, it's the dictator, Suardo, I think, is it Sukarno? Mm -hmm. Suardo, he's a military dictator. Mel Gibson's covering the breaking story of the revolution and his suppression of it for the Australian news because he's the hottest giant reporter. And Sigourney Weaver's supposed to be the stately British dame whose dad is a big wig and, you know, the colonizer. And then Mel Gibson, the old man says to Mel Gibson, they're at the club, right? He gets to go to the club and they're at the pool. And he says, uh, do you fancy we have a swimming match, old man? And Sigourney Weaver comes over to Mel Gibson and goes, let him win. You know how important games are to the English. <laughs> and that's this nothing truer. Games, whether it's mental games, uh, uh, gymnast, uh, uh, football. Of course, they're mad for football, right? Football and cricket, whatnot. But mental games and, and one-upmanship and um, cutting people down, being witty, being horrible. All that's really important to them. The social game, the, the, the status game. They're almost like, you know, a caste system. Cause if the way people speak in England completely defines them, you know, like if you have a posh accent, like Harry or, you know, or, or you call yourself one in conversation, one doesn't do that. Mm. Right. Then the air from yeah. way up there. And if you yep. talk, well, do so I might, you you know, mm -hmm. you're taking the pace. Are you taking a bath? You know, that then you're another person altogether. And it's very unlikely you'll rise. Uh, you know, they, they're worse than us in that regard. We're bad, but they're worse. <laughs> so I got to ask, audience appropriate, what's your funniest memory from, from the show? Like, what's your funniest, like, even if it's behind the scenes or even if it's just on air? Well, you know, there was uh, drinking and like drugging around the uh, set and that was always fun uh as far as uh well tony slattery's pants split open at a taping once and uh there was way too much to see and mm. yeah i mean all of the everything below the equator was exposed for a few moments and uh we all took it in and uh then he was hustled and bustled off stage to the wardrobe room. He wasn't, he was 
running commando that night, as it were. And so I saw far more than I wanted to see, quite frankly. And they stitched him up and they brought him back on. My other favorite time was uh, Ryan and I were shooting film and theater at the Limehouse in um, London, which we only shot at for a year or two. But it was a fun place. And we would go for curry after and, you know, drink, get drunk on beer and stuff, lager. And uh, uh, the pipe broke in the studio. This is England. The pipe broke, a water pipe. The studio filled with water. Are you following this? This is a TV mm -hmm. studio with full of yeah. electronic water. Bleachers full of people, right? There's a couple hundred people there. So they cut, 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 you know, everybody go outside. It's freezing, right? So we all put on our coats and me and Ryan went outside, I remember, and hung out with the audience. We just talked to them for like an hour and smoked. And then they're like, okay, we're, you know, we got the water out of the studio and we capped the pipe or whatever. So we come back in. Mind you, it's been some time and some inconvenience for a crowd that's come to see a television show, right? Like, but then they did get to hang out with us and talk to us for an hour. We were, it was like the first or second season. This is like 90 or 91. And um, Dan comes up to us, the producer. He's an anxious man and says, uh, whatever you do, don't mention that the pipe is broken because the people at home won't know. The people at home won't know the pipe's broken. Only the people here. No problem, Dan. We go resume film and theater styles. Can I have a style of movie? Someone yells Titanic, right? Titanic. So I'm holding on to Ryan around his waist. Ryan's pretending to hold on to the thing like this. And I go, oh my God, the pipe's broken. And the place fucking goes crazy, right? Everybody laughs. And we get this huge laugh. And I've always wanted to see that episode again. I've never watched it uh, because the laugh's way bigger than it deserves. It's funny. But it, it really, and because it's the Titanic, it's funny anyway, but that one made me really laugh because there's an inordinately huge laugh for the pipes broken. And Dan specifically told me not to do it. Um, and of course he was wrong, wasn't he? Mm -hmm. I was gonna say, actually telling someone not to do something, that's like code for, you know, like that's like when you tell a kid, here, don't take this hammer and go run outside, you know, with all the glass windows or something. Exactly, we are, that we're kids. I was, yeah. When I was on True Jackson, uh, one of the directors uh, and I uh, didn't always see eye to eye. And he said to me, and by, by, by the way, uh, apropos of nothing, we were just rehearsing a scene. And he said to me, oh, don't be funny here, right? And one of the producers came up to me afterward and said, I don't think you tell Greg Proops not to be funny. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, believe me, I didn't take that direction. Yeah. You know, like, uh, it's literally telling a... I was hired to be funny. Exactly. That's for, the wanted... comedian. Don't tell jokes tonight. You know? Right? Just what get up there and be sad. Yeah. yeah. What else are you supposed to do? Your eyes. What else are you yeah. supposed Sing to do? Sing the blues. Poetry or something? Yeah. Like tell right? poetry? Yeah. So what was it like working with all those coworkers like Drew Carey, um, Ryan, Colin, all those guys? You're, this is great. This is like a, a, a breathless fan interview from the early yeah. 2000s. I love it. Um, Drew is a lovely lamb chop, and uh, he was a, really a 800-pound gorilla uh, in the early days of uh, the ABC show because he had um, two network shows on one network. Uh, he had his own sitcom, and he had his line. Um, so he was uh, doing very well at, at ABC for years, and it was it really – he really uh, – 
helped all of us. I, I don't know how else to put it. Like his fame wasn't just this thing that he became famous and he was Drew Carey. We all got to be part of this giant thing that he was. And we all got more money because of it. We all got more gigs because of it. Um, he took us on tour. We did, I did two or three other TV shows with him that he went like this. Hey, do you want to do the show? Four, three or four. I went to, we did a Casino Rammer, whatever the name of that shitty, uh, Provaganza, uh, a green screen. And then he took me to Germany for the World Cup in 2006. And him and I did a travel channel show together, like a documentary about Drew Carey in Germany during the World Cup. And it was because I was the only one who knew anything about football because I'd lived in England. And it wasn't that popular with the other guys in, that he knew. And this is 2006. So he said to me, you like football, right? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, you want to go to the World Cup? And I'm like, oh, hell yes, I want to go to the World Cup. Because the World Cup is like the Olympics and the World Series and the Super Bowl together. It's that. You know, because every country's there. Like there's people from Ecuador and there's people from Japan. And it's madness. And it was in um, Germany. So we traveled all over Germany. We shot all over Germany. We got to see uh, Frederick Barbarossa's castle and... Uh, uh, what's his name, Juror's study, Studio, the printing press that, uh, uh, um, and now I'm blanking on who, the German who is purported to have invented the printing press in the 1490s. Uh, we went to a, a Champagnery in Mainz uh, that was on the Rhine, and that was the northernmost border of the Roman Empire. Over the border was the barbarians, right? According to the Romans, they were just Germans. But seven stories down, in the Roman days, they had dug this giant uh, 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 basement and, and they kept the champagne there. It was the Kupfenberg Champagnery and the Baron von Kupfenberg met us there. He was in his nineties and they took us downstairs and it's freezing cold underground. It was boiling hot. It was a hundred degrees upstairs. It was a terribly hot summer that summer. And uh, he was amazing. And then he gave us champagne after. Now no one's eaten for hours, right? So we're having three different kinds of champagne, four different kinds of champagne. And uh, the Baron says, um, they pour us the first glass and a little flute, right? This is about one in the afternoon. And he says to him, every woman in the world should be given a glass of champagne at 11 o'clock in the morning. And I said, that's undeniable, Baron. That, that, that's unassailable. You're, the, no one can gainsay you that fact. And then he says uh, to my wife, what is your husband's name? She says, proops. And he goes, I, I knew many proops before the war. Hmm. Then he reveals to everyone at the table, he was a captain in the German army. And now the whole place is like, and then afterward I said, he probably wasn't a Nazi because he was gentry. The people that planned to kill Hitler were all uh, counts and landed. It was a fascinating trip. And, uh, mm -hmm. That was just one part of it. Drew and I were in the, he, the Porsche, because he was such hot shit then. Porsche gave him a Porsche to drive around. Mm -hmm. So we went and collected it from the Porsche dealership in Mainz, and it was bright yellow. So me and Drew get in this bloody Porsche, and he's on. we're on the Autobahn. There's no speed limit. So we're going like 200 miles an hour. And I said, dude, we can be in um, Holland in like an hour and a half. I go, Let's go back to the room. Let me get my weed and my passport. <laughs> we drove to 
Frankfurt, he had his girlfriend with him at the time we drove to this Michelin start. I mean, it was just fantastic though. We, we went to a hundred matches together. He had a press accreditation. So he was on the touchline with all the world press and his camera, right? So he'd come back to the room at night and he'd show me all those pictures that he was taking of the match and whatnot. And they were jostling the shit out of him. They, the British and American journalists, sports journalists knew who the fuck he was and they hipped all the other journalists to it. And he, he said he was getting his ass kicked on the touchline, right? Like, he, you know, you're there with your camera and a guy will just come up and take your space and knock you over. And that's what was happening to Drew through all these matches, which made us all very happy. Uh, so that's what I mean. Like he's just, and Ryan too, Ryan's exactly the same way. Um, I've been in a group with Ryan since 1999 and we worked together every year since then. Uh, last year, we even worked up till March, right? The last gig I did was with Ryan, March 9th of last, March 8th of last year. And uh, we're still doing gigs. We have one on the 27th for your viewers. Mm. They can go to House Eats Live. It's me, Ryan Stiles, Joel Murray, who's Bill Murray's younger brother, Jeff Davis, our musical director, Bob Catch, and our guests are Gary A. Williams from His Line from the CW, Lorraine Newman from Saturday Night Live, who has a new memoir, and uh, Drew Carey. So yeah. that'll give you an idea of our relationship with Drew Carey. So yeah, yes. it's still going, baby. So that, I hope that answers your question. Absolutely. One time we were really high in Hershey, Pennsylvania. We were on a tour in 2005 together called The Green Screen. It was really unsuccessful, but we it was great fun. And um, we were in Hershey, Pennsylvania, in a place I'm sure you've been, the Hershey Highway, right near the Hershey factory. The Hershey Highway near the Hershey factory. When you check in, they give you a half a dozen Hershey bars. When you get to your, when they bring the breakfast in the morning, they bring you half a dozen, like you, you, you go in the lobby and kids are bouncing up and down because everybody's been cranked, cranking on, you know, M&Ms and mm -hmm. Hershey bars. They're on the sugar uh, high. Oh my God. So <laughs> we stayed there. So we did the show in Hershey. And then that night we repaired to Drew's suite. They've given him it, by the way, the Hershey, the hotel we stayed at was like a motor lodge, you know, like it wasn't, it didn't have a, like, um, mini bars or anything or a spa. You know what I mean? It was, it was yeah. for families. It was for families who were going to bed, but there was one big room, I guess the executive, whatever. So my room was just a, one of those bog standard, you know, with the metal key and the whole thing. Drew had like a suite. So we all went up to his suite and there was a mini bar in his room and we drank all the booze and we were smoking weed and Drew was really high. And suddenly there's banging on the door, right? Bang, 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 bang. And everybody's like, and we're, mind you, we're all in our forties then. We're all like, like we're kids, you know? Oh my God, you know, someone's banging at the door. So I go to the door, Drew goes to the door no, I went to the door and I'm like, yes, can I help you? And I'm always, by the way, I have to be the leader when everyone's high because I'm the only one who can handle myself. Everyone else is a gibbering ball of nothing at this point. I open the door and it's the manager. And he goes, um, we've been having a lot of complaints that you guys were, and he looks around the room and he sees nothing but comedians and Drew. And he goes, look, I can get you guys a room downstairs if you want it. <laughs> He, evidently everyone on the floor had been complaining because we were laughing and shouting and drinking and smoking weed. And he just, when he saw Drew, he went, 
um, I can get you a conference room. You guys can do this down there. Like he didn't say, don't do it. He didn't say, be quiet. Yeah. Then he was like, well, look, just, and I went, we promise to take, keep it down a little bit. We're sorry if we've disturbed anyone. We really apologize. We really okay. appreciate your author. Thank you so much. And he, okay, bye. And then we all started bawling, laughing. <laughs> because Drew, Chip always called it the sweet perfume. You know, whatever <laughs> yeah. small edge you get by having celebrities with you. Uh, Just that they, one thing. It's like, not, they, like eating a steam tire. It's like going down the highway at 105 miles an hour, getting pulled over. They'll see Drew Carey and be like, have a nice day. Drive safer. Yep. Believe me, clearing customs with Drew's a pleasure. Uh, I, it's happened to me with a bunch of different people. I, I, I had dinner in uh, New Zealand with Lucy Law. My wife and I had dinner with Lucy Lawless and her husband who's a big producer, but in New Zealand, as you can imagine, this was like 2005, Lucy Lawless, right? Cause Zeno shot in New Zealand. So you walk into a place with Lucy Lawless in New Zealand and people are like, you know, it's so yeah. I've had Joel Murray in Chicago, uh, because he's one of the Murrays, you know, Brian, Bill, that group, yeah. uh, he, we went to a pre uh, Cubs playoff game soiree at this bar. We get to the bar in Chicago and the bouncer goes, you know, no, you can't come in. You can't come in. Mr. Murray. Right. So we're, we're, we're oh, are these guys with you? Hey, great to meet you. You know, it's handshakes all around. Go to the bar. Um, meet these two gentlemen in their 40s. Um, oh, they're the owners of the Cubs sons. They're the Rickett family. The billionaires and who own the state of Nebraska too. the governor of Nebraska is a Rickett. The owner of the Cubs is a Ricket. They're all fascists, but they could be more polite. We're at their party drinking. Uh, all these ballplayers. I'm talking to this couple for 20 minutes, and then they leave, and Ryan Stiles was laughing his ass off at me. And I'm like, what's your problem? He goes, that was the coach of the Blackhawks, you idiot. And they just won the Stanley Cup. <laughs> so being with Joel in Chicago and, and being with Drew anywhere uh, in those days, and uh, – Really Ryan and uh, in and Be Bellingham or Seattle or uh, even more Vancouver with Ryan Richmond. Uh, Ryan is like the golden ticket up there. Like people are just like, you know, everybody. Yeah. Also, he's eight feet tall, so it's not like he can hide, and he's friendly, yeah. so he's you know. Yeah, it'd be like me, as you can tell. I'm a little person, so it's like me, you know. Everywhere I go, everywhere I go, stand up. Yeah, I always say, I always say, yeah. I always say you and me go to, let's go to, let's go to like a bar or something, you know, and I challenge you, let's see who can get the most attention. You, you might have oh, to, you. yeah, you have to do something like you have to, you know, start yeah. telling jokes to people. You have to start doing your thing. Like, Hey, it's the guy from Moose Line. I'm the guy from Moose Line or something. Me, I could just stand there like this. And yeah. I guarantee you, every time someone walks by me, their head's going. Right. Right. Like, you're, yeah. Cause you're, you're a walking uh, novelty. How tall are you? I'm in the four foot range. Oh, all right. Yeah. I, I actually didn't know, buddy. I, I didn't yeah. surmise that. Yeah. But I love it. It's a great, it's one of the greatest things in my life. Good for you. you. Know? I yeah. think it's fantastic. Yeah. I love it. It's, it makes me who I am. And I wouldn't, you know, honestly, mm -hmm. no more, question. I, hate the, I hate the M word. I hate the term midget. I hate it because it's just. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. We don't use that little, little person. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. But and like it was even used to tell you a story. It was used against me at a church once. I really? was walking, not not by anyone going into the church or anything, 
I was walking into church with my mom. I stepped aside to hold the door for her. And someone drives by on a nearby street and yells, effing M-word. Right? Yeah. And my mom, like my mom, you know, who's been through everything with me, you know, Mm -hmm. goes, what did he say? Like, just couldn't believe it. Me, I've heard, you know, I've heard that term a million times. I've heard, you know, I'm just like, you heard him. And I walked in and I'm like, you know what? I have two options here. I don't know if you're a religious person or not or anything like that, but I'm like, I got two options. I can go in and ask, why me? What did I do today to deserve that? Or I can walk in and go, you know what? Whatever's causing that man the pain, whatever's causing him to just be that person, please heal him or just forgive him. So, yeah. Yep. I think that's beautiful, Betty. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I, I'm always striving for that in myself, that power to forgive people that I really, really dislike and detest. And I, I'm having, a, I'm struggling with that a lot all the time now, I think, because of, there's so much evil. Mm-hmm. You know, our country is kind of surrounded by or infused with evil right now and uh, tempestuous times. And uh, it's not going to get easier. It's going to be a real reckoning for us. Oh, yeah. That's, what, what you just said, I really struggle with all the time, yeah. whether I'm able to find that in myself. Mm-hmm. But, so or then, is it in you or is it at an outer power? I, I don't know yeah. that I, Honestly, I petition the other power, but. Yeah. It's been through me because I've dealt with it my whole life that I know how to handle it. You know, I know like, hey, look, I can, you know, I'm no stranger to being bullied. I was bullied out of a school before. I was, sure, you know, like I can't tell you how many times I just walk down a simple street corner with me and see how many times someone drives by and says something like, go back to Munchkin Land or something like that, you know. And you and me are just minding our own business. Like we're just walking down the street. (laughs) Just walking, you know, That's we're not doing anything. So we're not, yeah, oh we're just, God. we're just minding our own business and bam, someone does something like that. You know, yeah. like I remember cutting through a block party once. You're, you're going to love this story. I, Me and my brother won free concert tickets to a KISS concert. So I park on this garage because I have free parking over there, thanks to my student pass. But on the same time, we had to cut, it was two blocks away and we had to cut through a block party to get through the concert venue. Right. While we were there, this lady, who's probably under the influence, comes staggering up to us, like literally catches herself before she gets to me and goes, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, how small are you? Before I get the chance to answer, her, I assume, friend comes up behind her and goes, I don't think they like that question very much. Yeah. I don't think they like that question. And I'm like, yeah, well, they- if bad, you know. Unbelievable. Do people pick you up? Um, they, sometimes in the past they have, I usually do something in response, you know, like it depends on who they are. If it's a complete stranger, then yeah, I'm a little panicked. Like, okay, what's going to happen? Because I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. But if it's a buddy or something, I'll do something playful. Like I'll do. I think that's really intrusive, you know? Yeah. And that's why like, I'm Mm -hmm. always like my senior thesis was dwarfism in the media and how it can really Mm. clear all like, you know, someone sees something like mini me who's you know, getting kicked across the screen and do they think, yeah. but like I had a, I had a friend once who actually had that question. Like this tells you how much people don't know about little people. I had a friend once who said he was watching gold member and there was a particular scene in gold member when uh, Michael Caine and um, mini me are in the room together. Yeah. And Michael Caine asks him about a certain body part. He goes, Hey, you're a child, you know? A friend had the audacity to ask me that because, you know, in their mind, in someone's mind, you know, it's like, that's ridiculous. You know, you're thinking it right now. Like, that's ridiculous. That's why would someone think like that? 
but then they right. get that they don't know that much they don't know like well i can't confirm it nor can i deny it though because what if it is true you know so he got half the question out. He's like, I've been watching Goldmember. I got it. And I knew exactly where he was going. I'm like, no, it's course, not. He's like, thank you. So, but it plays a huge role. Like it plays, you know, all the stereotypes are just, but I'm no, I'm no stranger to it. And I look at it this way. I can either just continue to be upset with it and go like, why me? You know, like a, like a church mm-hmm. situation. Why me? Why out of everyone here? Why? Because I'm the smallest or I can look at it and say, you don't know better. It's time for me to educate. I actually do. No I actually do um, in October. If you follow me on Facebook or something, I actually do in October what's called Dwarfism Awareness Month. And each day I post a fact, or I've done other buddy casts with some celebrities, like I've done uh, Bill Klein from um, the show The Little Couple. And mm-hmm. I post a fact every day. Like I'll just say something like, "Hey, you know, um, here's the reason why I hate the M word." Here's um, here's a fact. I'm the only little person in my family. We don't come from some clan or tribe, you know, there's no <laughs> hidden valley or something that like everyone's looking for. <laughs> you know? Or, you know, like you and me could be related right now. That's how it is, you know. Like everyone in my right. family's right. So yeah. but I'm also dating a wonderful little person as well. And a little shout out to her, awesome. you know. So and um we actually it went as far as um I actually contacted our local legislator, or legislator and um, asked him if he could help us get some awareness passed. And we actually got uh, House Resolution 497 passed in 2019. And then I think it was 1003 this past year. They renewed it. But it states that in the state of Pennsylvania, um, October is now known as Dwarfism Awareness Month. Well so, done. Thank you. That's fantastic. It actually happened when... Um, when the Zach Brown band actually had this little stunt, um, it kind of, you know, I'm no, str- like I said, I'm no stranger to people with like high power media, you know, just turning right. us around or turning us in jokes. And the Zach Brown band and actually, always, right? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. The Zach Brown band actually um, did a stunt in one of their concerts at Fenway Park. They were having a, uh, they had a little person on stage fight an average hype person. So you're no strangers to concerts. You know that's a perfect place for someone to get drunk. You know when people are drunk or high or something, they yeah. don't their thinking goes out the window. You know, they're you know, like just stuff like that. So, you know, imagine there was actually a little person working that night. So imagine being that little person and now, you know, just walking out of the stadium is just a walk the for threat, your life. The threat of yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, people picking you up, throwing you, mistreating you. Yeah. Because you, you know, apply the law of, of physics to that. Someone picks you up and drops you. You could land on your feet or you might just stumble back, land on your butt or something. Someone drops someone like me or someone smaller, you know, what goes up must come yeah. down. Yeah. And it would, and we have, a lot, you know, a lot of us have a lot of fragile bones or something. Like my girlfriend is still yeah. recovering from a back surgery she had years ago. You know, like she can't sit. She, she has to apply for disability because she cannot sit for an extensive amount of time at a job, right, you know, because right. it's too much, too painful. Exactly. Exactly. So I'm at, like I said, apply the laws of physics there and you've got yeah, our it's, life. It's, it is a dangerous yeah. life. On the other hand, you might think that you, uh, uh, mm-hmm. are, are uh, uh, gifted. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you, I do. You, I do. I always, you know, yeah. in certain cultures, uh, 
it, oh, it's yeah, not the way it is here. We don't stigmatize people. They they venerate yeah. people who are, yeah. you know. There, there are cultures that viewed little people as gods before. I yeah. used to, I do stand-up comedy. I, I've i um, gotten rid of my dwarfism material just because I want to be known as yeah. Nick Smith, not the little person comedian, but I used to say this right, gig, right. you know, there was times where little people used to be viewed as gods. And then, you know, like that was like in ancient Rome times. And then you go to the yeah. Greek times and we become kind of like, uh, you know, something else. Like we come this and then you get to like Egypt or something and we just become these gestures or something. Oh no, I went, it went Egypt, gest- Egypt gods to our Rome gestures. So I kind of asked from gods to gestures, what in the world did we do to upset those gods so much? You know? <laughs> right. So. She had yeah. better jokes. Uh, yeah. I met Vern and uh, I knew Chewy who was on Chelsea's show. Mm-hmm. Do you remember Chewy from Chelsea lately? I think so. He was, he was a little person. Yeah. And um, there was a, a brilliant um, actor when I was a kid who'd gone way back to the 40s and 50s, uh, but all the way to the 90s when he finally passed. His name was Billy Barty. And he yeah. was a, a remarkable, he, actually, he was a really famous little person actor. He actually he had a started tr- great career. of America. He actually started. He, the, he started. Yes, the, right, the, right. So I got to meet him in an audition once with my wife and I was really excited about it because he was totally famous to us. And then there was also a wonderful actor named Michael Dunn, who um, was the, oh, I'm blanking on his name. Who's on Game of Thrones? I'm blanking on his name. Peter he was Dinklage. nominated for an Oscar. For, yeah, Peter Dinklage, uh, who was uh, that wonderful movie um, with Patricia Clarkson, um, Something Dinner Station. Dinner with Harvey? Am I dinner huh? with Harvey? Oh, and right, because but Michael Dunn was kind of the Peter Dinklage of the '60s. He was yeah. on Star Trek and Wild Wild West. He played Meg Little Loveless. He was a recurring yeah. character, and everybody thought he was a superb actor. Um, and yeah, so I, it's the the thing about them the depicting as clowns and all that is is is, is yeah. when all the actors I'm talking about were just brilliant, and everybody thought well, of them as really people like Peter Dinklage. You know, Peter. What yeah. I remember about him is that he, as much as he's one of the most respected actors today, he'll go into yeah. a role and say, he'll look at the script and go, okay, you want me as the clown? See you later, you know? Like, he'll just toss the script and just go, see you. Like, he'll, because yeah. he has respect for himself. He's not one of those, well, it's a role, so I got to do, you know, I got to put food on my table, so You're yeah. You're going to be an Oompa Loompa, yeah. Yeah, kick me across the room, by all means, because he knows, yeah, yeah. he knows that image that it will put on other people. He knows, okay, if That's I pull this role, really- yeah, if I play this role, what's stopping the viewer from walking out of the movie theater, seeing a little person, and thinking that it's socially acceptable to pick them up and hug them? You know, you wouldn't like mm. if you and if you and me like if you saw a random stranger on the street, you wouldn't just come up and randomly hug them or something or pick them up like yeah. I'm so glad to see you. But yet, no. it's socially acceptable to do that to someone who's a foot smaller than you. As much as I don't like the movies because of the image they give little people. The one thing I admire, I admire about the Austin Powers movies, the one in, um, in the same scene that I mentioned before, Michael Caine looks at Vern Troyer and goes, you know, I think it's a darn shame. Just because you're a foot smaller than them doesn't mean you deserve a foot lesser respect, does it? Right. That's what had Vern Troyer, like that's eventually what turned Troyer over, you know? he Because um, he eventually comes becomes good in the movie. He's like, yeah, you're right. right. Like, He's a little evil sprite before and then he becomes the yeah. good one, yeah. Yeah. Oh, you want to be friends, eh? Wait a tick. I'm not falling for that again. Yeah. But you. But that statement is 100% truth. Just because someone is 
a foot smaller than you or something or has something different from them, like a disability or something, doesn't mean they deserve a foot lesser respect from you, does it? Like, doesn't mean, like, you know, if you and me are standing next to each other, you know, yeah, you this or that, but at the same time, like, doesn't mean someone has, you know, what gives them the right to say, ha to me and then go, oh, hey, how's it going to you, you know? Like, Nothing, man. Everybody exactly. deserves respect. Everybody exactly. deserves respect. Well, you know, there's a crisis in the world, man. Uh, mm -hmm. Little people, uh, right now, trans people and Asian people mm -hmm. are in the uh, are totally in the bullseye, um, yeah. and it's just horrible and it's not fair at all. No, no, one hundred. Um, it is white people in the dominant paradigm. Sorry, go ahead. It is my pet peeve in life when someone gets messed for something they can't, they have no control over. Right, who they are. Because I can't wake up tomorrow and go. Hey, I want to be six foot five, and then shoot up to six foot five, and then the next morning, <laughs> right. hey, I want to be five foot again or something. You know how much fun I'd have with yeah. that? Like I would, I you would see me tomorrow, and I'd be seven foot nine or something. Be like, hey, how's it going? You know, or like even like back when I was being bullied or something. I'm like, if I had that superpower, imagine going to school tomorrow. Hey guys, how's it going? And just having them look like, right? Oh boy, you know. But we can't control that. But no control. Tall, tall people get singled out too, though. Sadly, they really oh, do. I know. I know. People, I mean, people treat them. How's the weather up there? Reach yeah. this off my shelf for me. That it I, never I, ends. I once went to a camp, and I remember there was this really big, really big like scoutmaster there. I'm talking like like he was huge, and I he was blocking the trash can one day. So I tugged on his shoulder. He's like, "Excuse me," and he's like, "Yes, sir." And for some reason to this day, I still don't know why it scared me. It like, I jumped back a little like, I, I said, excuse me. So later on, we're at our campfire, you know, for the night and their scout yeah. group is over to join our scout group. Guess who sits right next to me and adjusts the elephant in the room. But we talked and we realized that night it was through our differences that we had a lot of similarities. People were scared of him because I wasn't the first guy he scared. People laughed yeah. at me. People viewed us as differently. Like we just want, but right, we just right. we just wanted to be normal people, and we actually developed a really good friendship during that camp. I'm doing my best to find him to this day, but um, we developed, you know, I was we developed nicknames even. Like I was a little man, he was big fella, and <laughs> he actually he actually won me an award that camp because I learned something about him. I learned that because he had like such big hands. He struggled to tie knots because I was struggling to like tie an end of a stick or something. Right. And I said, you know, hey, can you help me? And he like his head went down. I'm like, I'm sorry, little man. I struggle with that, too. So right. later that night, I was at the camp store making my final purchases. And right in front of me is this book on tying knots. I don't even think twice about it. I race to him. I give it to him. He gives me the biggest bear hug ever. And he's like, thank you so much. This means the world to me. Someone saw it and reported it to the camp counselors and everything. So at the end of the night, they're like, hey, tomorrow you're, you know, like they had that big bonfire ceremony. And they said, tomorrow you're going to get these badges. And, you know, Scout's going to have like black embroidery, Scout Master's Gold. There's one Scout who earned his tonight. And they say, we want to call up Danny, a.k.a. Big Fella. And my heart just went, nope. Like, I'm like, okay, I just won an award. So, but yeah, he said, yeah, but it's through those differences that you find that you are just the same as everyone else, you know? It's like that yeah. song. Have you ever heard that song, Don't Laugh at Me? Yeah. It's like I said, you know, yeah, I'm, and I'm, I'm fat, I'm thin, I'm short, I'm tall. 
I'm deaf. I'm blind. Hey, aren't we all? Right. Yeah. It's so true. It's so true. One hundred. It's something that's bothered me my whole life, and uh, I, 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 yeah, I just, mm-hmm. I, and I, especially now when um, I feel like the insensit- uh, the insensitivity of when I was a kid, it, it has been revealed, and like we're all understand it now. And now there's this giant re- reaction to it where people are branding everything that's simply trying to address the fact that everyone deserves respect and uh, yes. um, love as woke culture or oh, cancel culture. All this is like, it's not that at all. You need no. to be responsible for how you treat people. And exactly. if you treat people badly, yeah. If you treat yeah. people badly, you're, you're, this isn't a choice. It's you're being a bad person. And that's the choice you're making. So yeah. I really hate that whole oh, I, why can't I tell it like it is? Because telling it like it is, is ableist, sizist, racist, sexist, transphobic, homophobic. And I don't dig it. I, I think yeah. You, yeah. if you are that way and that's what you really want to live your life like, okay, but own it, own it. And don't get mad when people bust you on it. Exactly. It's not don't, cool get, and it hurts don't get offended when someone calls you out for it. When someone says, hey, that's not right to say. Don't get offended. Right? Like, why can't I say that? What about free speech or whatever? Yeah, yeah, it's always free speech, right? But free speech yeah. is hurtful, and 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 when I you're remember, starting to hurt people, that's when buddy, it ends, man. The one who used to be my buddy, when I announced to a group of friends that I got HR four ninety seven passed, he got mm-hmm. almost offensive by me. Like he almost got offensive with me. Like he's like, "You realize you're explaining communism right now," and I'm like, "Excuse me, you're taking away our free speech." Because in there they say right. that in the bill that it says like. The term midget is considered offensive. You know, like that's what it is. I'm like, dude, you've known me how many years? You've known, you've been someone who stood up for me when someone has said something like that. Why all of a sudden is saying that word like, like taking away your freedom of speech? You would never say it in front of me. You would never say it in front of me. Like you would never say it like, you know, hey, I'm this or that. You know, like you would never say it behind my back. Why would you, why all of a sudden this thing, like we just got into this heated argument about how I just took away all his rights or something when I just took a stand for myself, you know, like I just took a stand. I you know, I looked this stuff over and I'm like, look, this is just, again, saying what you're saying. Yeah. I may be calling some things out, like saying, Hey, that term is offensive. You know, it's at calling people, it's educating them. It's showing them that hey, it's educating them that, yeah, this isn't right. This isn't, it's not right to call someone this word. Because of how, personally for me, it's how it's been used against me. It's been how it's been said against me. Like it's been how, hey, I, you know, someone thinks I am, you know, like the word midget was coined in the P.T. Barnum era. So to me, and especially how it's used today, it feels like someone's going, step right up, step right up. When again, Mm -hmm. I do my life. Like I just, I want to go into church with my mom and just enjoy the day. I want to go. Have, you know, I want to go to a concert with my little brother and just enjoy right. my time. I don't want to have to worry about someone driving by on a ch- at a church and screaming that term in front of my mother. I don't want someone signaling me out in a, a large crowd who's maybe under the influence in front of my little brother. Like I almost, I was, I had to stop myself. I almost asked the lady who came stumbling up to us. I almost asked her, and you are, how high, ma'am? Oh, no, no, no. Uh-huh. I'm not asking about your physical stature. You know, yeah. like I, I had to stop myself. I'm like me and my brother just kept walking. And my little brother, who's like, who's, tw- you know, 22 right now, 
was like, wow, what was that? And I'm like, just keep walking. Right. Just keep, let's just keep moving. It's not going to get any better. You have infinite patience, buddy. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. Yep. So going back to our, going back to our thing, I got to ask, and you're on the, what does it mean to be a buddy today? Um, I think what, what we're doing right now, I think hearing people out, I think uh, making contact with people. I said to my wife yesterday, I'm doing a podcast with you today and I'm doing another one tomorrow with a cat in England. It's like a Beatles thing. And I said, um, not that I'm so altruistic or whatever, but that when the, the world starts again, which it will by the end of this year or the beginning of next year, I'll, my, I might be back to my old ways, which is traveling uh, four or five days a week and going all these places. And so I'm very rarely lighting anywhere. And so my time is spent conserving energy and napping and eating and traveling and doing shows. And so I have the time now to actually connect with all the people who at want to make the effort to connect with me. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what it is. Yeah. Uh, I've done a, a not just podcasts, but I've done a bunch of podcasts with people that I don't know. And they've simply asked me and I've said, yes. And I think you take a flyer on humanity. I think you take a, uh, uh, you have some faith. Yeah. That people aren't there to waste your time, that people are that want to talk to yeah, you. Yeah, I've, got, I've learned so much today talking. Yeah. Talking to you, <laughs> I've, I've learned just a lot. And I think Thank it's you. just, that's, that's what it is. I think. Yes. Does that seem like a yes, fair assessment? It's not, it's not that we're going to go have sandwiches tomorrow, although I'd love to, uh, yeah. I'd love to be an area. I'd love to be anywhere. It's, hey, it's just simply a matter of, right. What, what do we do? You're, yeah. If we, we're coming to PA, you know, we will in a year yeah. or two. And then you have my email. So. Oh, absolutely. I'll hit you up. You just let me um, know when you're coming into town and I will, I'll make sure of it, you know? I'll make sure we meet up. You'll dig the cats too. You'll dig the cats. I mean, Sweet. I try to educate my my friends in the yeah. Newsline group. Um, we, we were on the road in 2019, last time we were on for a lot. And Danica Rehm is a, um, uh, a politician. She's in the Virginia House of Delegates. Mm-hmm. And Danica Rehm is also a trans person. And she won re-election uh, in the last election. And uh, she's a Who's Line fan. And somehow we contact each other on Twitter and she came to the show. And then Andrea Jenkins is the same. She's in Minneapolis. She sits on the Minneapolis city council. She's uh, African-American. She's a poetess and she's also trans. And Mm -hmm. they both came to the show. She came to the show in Minneapolis. And so I've gotten the guys to, they're all really nice. That's what my point is. Um, we're, We're able to kind of, like they'll see past the whole trans thing. They won't let that bother them. They won't be like, yeah, no, that like, like it's we, like that awkward, Hey, how's it going? You know, yeah, they're all good. They're all good souls. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I, I wouldn't work with guys who weren't, but yeah. you know, you run into them and there is yeah. such a thing in comedy. Comedy is a real white male het, cis, cis het, you know, uh, paradigm. And, and that's where the making fun of, people below you comes from. And yes. I don't believe in that at all as a comedian. Yeah. And you I have tell to punch to, upward. Yeah. And I tell that to my friends all the time. The day you hear me say something about someone about that they can't control, like the day you hear me say something like, hey, did you see the guy with this or something? Or did you stop me and slap me? Like smack me around, do something. Right. Let me get off the stage right now. Be a heckler for all I care. 
just do something and get me the you know what after there. It, it's not funny, and I, it's the no. thing I hate the most in comedy clubs. Um, I hate. Yes. Uh, they used to say to me, "Do you who do you care opens for you?" Now I always try to help women open for me because I'm tired of hearing men. Um, but it, they would say, well, do you care who opens? And I'd say, what I care about is that they don't get up and all of a sudden start making fun of Persians or Mexicans or women that I don't want them to be sexist and racist and horrible because so many, uh, straight white guys feel entitled to do that as comedians. And I think mm -hmm. it's a, a straight, uh, men of all persuasions. It's not limited to white yeah. guys, but for certain white guys started it. Um, you hear them get up and, and, and be horrible, like different groups. And you're like, when you're at the top of the food chain, that's just the, you, yeah. you need to amplify other people's voices. You need top, to amplify them. Yeah. When you're at the top, you need to a, use the power. Like you said, use the power respectfully. B, remember how you got there. Remember like, you know, if this show ever becomes something, it's not just going to be, oh yeah, I'm just going to talk to, you know, Tom Hanks today, or I'm going to talk to Oprah today. It's going to be, <laughs> Hey, I'm going to talk to my neighbor who's been a piano teacher for 20 years. Like, I'm going to tell you something. I had Sinbad on this show before he had his stroke. And I said, and I said, to, I said straight to his face, as much as I admire, I'm speaking to you today. And it is a true honor. I'm just as honored to talk to my neighbor who actually is a piano teacher. I have her on the schedule for next week. And he looked at me and he said, you should be. Yeah. So no, no question. No question. We got to remember so, celebrities. Learning. Celebrities a weird construct. It's it's just yeah. silliness, you know. That, that's yeah. why I said like luck and happenstance, man. Yeah, it's just I think honestly, and no offense to any celebrity out there because you've worked hard and everything. Celebrity just means you've got noticed for what you've done, you know. Like you yeah. just you got noticed, like in you shallow, you've been on TV. In a yeah. shallow way. Yeah, you've been on TV. <laughs> like you've been on TV. You've yeah. been in comedy clubs. Yeah. You've been noticed. There are people yeah. who are having to do what you're doing, you know, working just as hard. And at the same I time, know. they're just waiting for their notice. They're just waiting for their notification. Like they just wait for that producer to come up to them and say, sign here. You know, I can be even more specific. I was lucky enough because I'm so old that when I was on TV, people watched TV. You know, like then in the 90s yeah. and people, people uh, TV was a big thing then. You know, there was friends and there was you know, Survivor yeah. and all that. And now yeah. TV's another thing. TV's part of a bigger thing of the internet yes. and, you know, yes. all the what we're doing right now. outlying platforms. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you can enjoy entertainment on your phone, on your PC now. That's so different than in 1993, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And so it's, it's progress. I think it's a lot of progress, buddy. It's like... Mm -hmm. People are people recognize each other now more. They 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 let other people be seen. They give the feeling of people being seen. Um, the trick is to wrest control of the gates and the portals from the gatekeepers who are narrow minded, who mm -hmm. want everything to be like it was fifty years ago or whatever. Because it's not going to happen anymore. It really isn't. Yes. Uh, you see, our new uh, not to be political, but yes. our new government is so nice and kind and inclusive. You might notice that they are way more inclusive uh, than at the last government. Let's just be subtle about it and put it that way. Mm -hmm. uh, they acknowledge people of different races, persuasions. We put an uh, American Indian in the cabinet today. Uh, mm. Deb Holland is gonna be Secretary of the Interior. So I really feel like that's progress to see publicly a little more of an embodiment of what we're supposed to be here 
this, you know, freedom, like you say, freedom, but freedom's been twerked into this weird, my freedom to be mean. And that's where I don't, that's where I don't get it. Yeah. Like my, my freedom to shoot you. Cause I don't, I can't control myself or my freedom to be mean to you because yeah. um, that's what freedom is, is the freedom to be horrible to other people. Or freedom of speech, as opposed to, I can say, freedom of speech means I can say whatever I want to you. I can call you whatever name and I am yeah. okay with it. Like that's yeah. Pejorative instead of yeah. supportive. Yeah. 100%. Well, so, my wife always says representation is everything. If yeah. no one is representing you, to the public, then you're not represented because then people have this weird fantasy notion of you, like you said, that they can, uh, uh, you're a clown in a movie that's to be thrown and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 100%. And that's why I, like I said, I strive every day to prove that theory wrong, to prove that, Hey, I'm actually a person like you, like Dr. Seuss says, a person is a person, no matter how small, no matter how small, right? Horton here's a who. Exactly. Exactly. So part of being a buddy is being a charitable buddy. So if you could have our buddies donate to one charity of your choice, what would it be and why? Oh, well, I think um, oh, the the um, Los Angeles Food Bank, but then uh, Chef Jose Andres does the World Kitchen. I think that one because um, Jose Andres is a, a an amazing person. He's uh, from Spain. He has a restaurant in D.C., and he has a restaurant here in Los Angeles. But since uh, Puerto Rico happened and since the COVID happened, he's really gone out of his way to feed first responders. He goes to different disasters and uh, they do not just meals, but like tens of thousands of meals a day. Wow. So I think the World Kitchen is, yes. uh, he should be nominated for a Nobel Prize. He's as charitable as any um, any yes. religious figure that I can think of. And he's a right guy and he doesn't make any distinctions. You know, there's no agitation with him. It's simply, the act of doing, which I think any uh, any Jesuit would tell you is the <laughs> mm-hmm. impulse is one thing and intentions another, but acting is. And so that would be the that would be the charity I would say, buddy. Beautiful, beautiful. World and to, to plug uh, to do a little plug here real quick, we actually have a charity show coming up in a couple of weeks. We oh, call okay. it Video. It's a monthly charity show that we do, just like what we're doing here, live stream. Um, we have a bunch of magical acts that come on and this month we're sponsoring the Elton John AIDS foundation and oh, yeah, that's beautiful. As we just confirmed yesterday, I'm so excited about this. We have a guest buddy coming on. Um, do you know John Mahon from the Elton John band, the percussionist? Wow. He's going to be no, our buddy. Fantastic. Yeah. He was actually that's on this so show. awesome. Yeah. He's a good, he's become Did a good you see friend. That Elton John, uh, that's fantastic. Uh, he, did you see Elton John took out uh, the Catholic church yesterday? Because yes, uh, because of their, you know, I love Pope Francis. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a Catholic. I'm a Catholic. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm this, but there, I, that's one thing I kind of, I struggle with. I'll talk to you about it off air, but that's one thing I struggle with, with it. Like, it's just how they view stuff like that. Like I have friends that are gay and they're some of my best friends, you know? They have the happiest marriage. They're they're nice people because yeah. I honestly view people. Here's how. Here's my stance on people. I treat you the way you treat me. If you're kind, if you're nice to me, you could be the biggest you know what in the world. If you're kind and nice to me, I'm gonna be kind and nice to you. If you're the nicest person, look, but on behind camera, you are a total you know what to me. You're a total this that. Guess what? 
What goes around comes around, you know? Like you and me, you know? It's, it's like you. All politics are personal, baby. Uh-huh. All politics are personal. Exactly. It's, it's all about one-on-one relationships. I, I think that's fantastic. I think Elton John is an amazingly charitable person. Yes. Uh, with all of his quirks and qualms as a human being and his deficiencies, which he admits to fully. Yeah. His book, by the way, is a riot. If you I just it. finished it. It was yeah, awesome. It's a riot. What does he favorite. say? If you want to be depressed and not have any friends, I suggest I couldn't I can't suggest cocaine highly enough. <laughs> that yeah. line made me cry laughing. Yeah. I love his prologue in the end where he says, Look, if it hadn't been for these moments, none of this would have happened in my life. Like yeah. you gotta read that prologue in the end. Like he says, like, look, if I didn't have a bad audition, I would have never been handed Bernie's lyrics at the end. Right. Or if I decided to throw those lyrics out, like I'm done with this, I'm not doing this. I wouldn't have opened that letter and just read these lyrics and been like, I can do this. Yeah. And look where he is with Bernie now. That's the ultimate like friendship yeah. right there. You know, yeah. if he hadn't had, if a simple thing, like a, he is like a majority owner of the Watford football club. He said, right. if they didn't have right. that one bad, yeah. If he didn't have that one bad game that would have put me in that bad mood, I would have never called up my friend to say, Hey, let's have this dinner party. Let's do this. Yeah. I need a picnic. That's where he met David. You know, right, David. Yeah, and then his old man and all that. Him and him, and the old man going to Watford. No, he's right though about all those things. And Long John yeah. Baldry, and 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 then Long John Baldry laughing at him. You're getting married, really? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the best part about it is when he asks, you know, all this has gone on. My my next question is, what's next? What's next, Mike? Isn't that how we have to look at life? Like, what's next? Like, you've been on who's line? Nice you've Met everyone from Drew Carey to everything. <laughs> You've been on podcast. What's next? What's next for you? You know, right? Like, well, yeah. uh, I'm just trying to cope day to day right now. But yeah, exactly. uh, it, it, it is always about what's next. I, I couldn't agree more. And um, I'm so glad, even with more like shows, Elton, more comedy. Yeah, I'm so glad with Elton that now he's you know retiring. Don't get me wrong. I want to see one of his shows before he retires. He's coming to Hershey and. You know, if that's the closest I can get to him, I'm doing my best to get down there. I've got relatives near that area too. So, but um, I love how he's finally, like he looked at his kid's schedule and his husband went, how much of this do you want to be around for? And he looked at him and said, all of it. He said, okay, it's yeah. time to retire. And you're serious. Cause he's now, he wants to spend time with his family. He wants to be the father that's there. He doesn't want to be the big celebrity father. That's like, oh, I was there. I sent them a nice birthday gift at least, you know? Mm-hmm. Even his bandmates, like even you know, talking with John Mahon during his uh, during his, he says like, look, he puts his family first. Like he's the guy who will you know be talking to his kids right before the show, and then say, hey, real quick, I just have to go do the show, and then I'll call you right back. And the minute the show's done, he's back with his family. Right. Like he's that guy. He's yeah. Not, no, there's there's yeah. a lot of people who check out when they're yes. well, you know, I'm as guilty as anyone else. When, yeah. when you do the road, and the road is your life. Yeah, you 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 have this everlasting excuse with everybody why you don't have to interact with them, and I think mm-hmm. that's the big thing that changes because of what's happened because of the, mm-hmm. the plague. Yep. So now I've got what's called the ultimate buddy cast buddy question. You ready for this? All right. Yes. For anyone who wants to go into comedy, or anyone who wants whoa, to do whoa, something. You, sorry, there was a distortion there. Go, start, yeah. Say again, please. For anyone who wants to go into comedy. Or anyone who wants to go into like improv, even what is your advice to them? 
Well, first of all, it's a very crowded field, so don't. No, I'm joking, of course. We get that um, a lot. It's, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, when the world starts up again, and even before then, uh, all the stage time you can get is really the most important thing. And don't listen to anybody um, who denigrates you or criticizes you or tells you no. It's very destructive, uh, and they'll just try to break you down, and uh, you don't need that. Um, yeah. If it's a passion with you, uh, then you have to stick to your guns and you have to work, 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 work. Um, like you said, uh, celebrity is one element of show business. Celebrity is the fame part. For me, it's never been the emphasis because I don't care. I've been lucky enough to have some because it got weight on me. But working is the part that everybody, a guy said to me years ago at a gig, do you want to be famous? Or do you want to have a career? Do you want to work? And so what all working performers know is that work is the important part. So know that before you get in. I remember a couple of years ago, I was in Atlanta and these two cats came up to me and they said, we want to walk, talk about our careers. And I said, how long you've been doing it? And one cat said like 13 months. And the other one said two years. And I go, first of all, you don't have careers. You're, you know, you're novices. And comedy and improv are something that you have to do an apprenticeship then, like you were a blacksmith or a cobbler, or you were a bookbinder. Um, you have to do seven years, you have to do however many years, whatever you want, however you want to parse it. And then you can think about, because you want to be good. Learn all of the rules and then you can break all of the rules. You also want to be yourself. Don't worry if you're too effeminate. I've been accused of being effeminate. I've been accused of being everything, you know, whatever. Uh, you're, this And this goes to the heart of what we've been talking about today, Betty, about identity and respect. Oscar Wilde said, your weaknesses are your strengths. So whatever it is you are, that is what you are. And that's the biggest thing you have to sell. A, a young woman asked me um, the other day online, she wants to be a performer. She's like, I don't have the right look or whatever. I'm like, look, you're selling yourself. Bill Hicks, the comic said, this is what you've got to sell you. Uh, less jokes and more me, right? So at the end of the day, it's a lot to take on when you're starting because when you're yeah. starting, literally all you want is a gig for $75. Yeah. I mean, we're the basic meanwhile, level to pay every, the rent. Meanwhile, every professional is laughing in your face the minute you say that, you know? Because they well, all but, know but, they but, yeah. Right? But, uh, but when I was 22... There was nothing more in my mind than to quit the job I had so that I could go to make these gigs that paid 50 and $75. And sometimes with my partner, we'd split the $75. So it's a real imperative at the beginning of your career. The survival mode of it is what I think spurs people on to do what they need to do. Um, if you're lucky enough to be from a well-to-do family, then you'll make your way. But if you're not and you're working class, then you'll have to work hard to just make the money that you need to survive. So I think that needs to be the impetus. Always do something new, like you said, always write, always be on what's going on and, and uh, always show up mm -hmm. and try to be there for everything. I think it's really, I know this, this all sounds elemental and maybe glib, but it isn't because I went through all this and I did open mics and I did this and that. It's the truth. And I got lucky enough 10 million years into my career to get on this show. I was 29, I think, when I started on the show, right? And yeah. it's been 32 years. So Nice.
Love it. You reminded me of the song, This Is Me, you know, from The Greatest Showman. This is me. Like, this is how you do it, you know. Don't be, like, just be yourself. Be up there. Be who you are. Show them that this is you. At the end of the day, you don't have anything else to sell. And yeah, you're funny. Yeah, you're witty. Yeah, you have a slant. Um, Everyone has a slant. And a lot of people aren't very original. And uh, and also show business isn't a meritocracy. The best people aren't rewarded. So you have to remember that and not be disappointed mm-hmm. by it. Not be disappointed that other people get gigs that you thought you were going to get because you're better than them. Because that's not going to happen. No. <laughs> well, thank you so, so much for being a buddy here on BuddyCast. Appreciate it, buddy. Yeah, stick around. We'll chat for a minute. But for all my okay, buddies I- out there. Yeah. For all my buddies out there, this is my buddy, Greg Proops. You've seen him on Who's Lying Anyway, and now you've seen him on BuddyCast. So, Greg, I got one favor to ask you before we end the show. Okay. Go be someone's buddy today. I will, buddy. Thank you for that challenge. All righty. We'll catch you all next time here on BuddyCast. Well, the days are going fast. Buddy, buddy, we've got to make them last Buddy, buddy, before they've all gone past Buddy, buddy, tune in to Buddy Cats Don't feel like it could make it